three on the way. Good! And Garland spins down the lane and laid it in. This crowd has erupted. Welcome to Fear the Fro, a podcast covering the Cleveland Cavaliers and the NBA with the voice of Fox Sports Radio. Figure out a way to stop it. Listen and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. Here it is, my favorite show. And now, your host. His name is Bob Schmidt. Welcome to the Fear the Fro podcast, a Cavalier and NBA podcast hosted by I, Bob Schmidt, lifelong Cavalier fan voice of Fox Sports Radio, and now the captain, the conductor of the bandwagon. Toot, toot. Three wins in a row as the Cavaliers take down the Bulls in back-to-back games with some help from some non-calls from the officials. But tonight, a much more even effort in terms of officiating as the Cavaliers came back to win the game by just two points. And those two points came from the hand of Evan Mobley as he scored his fifth and sixth point of the game to put the Cavs up by two. The Suns would run a final play, give the ball to Mikhail Bridges, who struggled the whole night. A man who shot three for 15 from the floor, finished with just 10 points, and his final shot went in and out as the Cavaliers' time expired with them on the correct side of the scoreboard. 25-14, and 14, 11 games over 500, continuing to climb, continuing to chip away. Now, we're in the fourth quarter. The Milwaukee Bucks and the the Toronto Raptors also in a very low-scoring slugfest at the moment as I record this podcast. The Bucks are leading by five points, 66 to 61. There is nine minutes left. So despite the fact that we did not break 100, it's looking very much like neither of those teams will break 100 in that game. This may be the one instance where I root for the Toronto Raptors to upend the Milwaukee Bucks because there are things bigger than the humiliation of Toronto right now. The Cleveland Cavaliers entered tonight in a situation where they sat in the fourth seed, but if the Milwaukee Bucks fall to the Toronto Raptors, that would give the Cavaliers a half-game advantage on the Bucks in the Eastern Conference and place them back in the third seed. I will update you as things progress there. But let's get into the game tonight, because tonight was a game which, following a historic Donovan Mitchell outing, a season-high 71 points, a game that probably didn't get the coverage it deserved due to the tragic events of the Monday night football game between the Bills and the Bengals. So Tuesday, much of the media coverage, understandably, was not on Donovan Mitchell, despite putting on a show that every fan of NBA basketball should rewatch if they did not see it live. Obviously, I'm speaking to a largely Cavalier audience. Most everyone here saw it live. But what you saw tonight, if you tuned into this game, was not a sight foreign to Cavalier fans. Now, on paper, the Cavs should have won tonight, and they did. They were clearly the favorites. They were playing a team, missing their best player, Devin Booker, since Booker has departed in early December. This Suns team is reeling. They have gone just 2-7 and seven in the last nine games where they have been missing their star. Their stats have been a complete flip. The team with Booker, just for some perspective. When he's on the floor, Devin Booker has led the Suns to a positive net rating, 5.4. Right now, following this game, the Cavaliers are second in the league in net rating with a 5.3. The Boston Celtics just above that at a 5.5. So 5.4 is is nearly league-leading efficiency. 
Since Devin Booker has departed, though, their offense has plummeted to 113.3. Their defensive rating has also fallen to nearly 120 for a negative 6.6 net rating. That is a 12-point net rating swing. That is gigantic. Negative 6.6 right now would put them on par with the Houston Rockets, ahead of only the Charlotte Hornets, Detroit Pistons, and San Antonio Spurs. So they have gone from a top-five team efficiency-wise to a bottom-five team efficiency-wise just due to the loss of their superstar. And say what you will about this Mitchell versus Devin Booker debate, I will push back. Anytime somebody tries to parallel the 70-point game from Booker, the, the Boston Celtics led by 20 to 25 points most of that game. They didn't even get it below 15 until the fourth quarter. They were just conceding looks to Devin Booker because the game was so out of hand. There was really no incentive to play aggressive defense. At no point did the Phoenix Suns threaten to win that game. Donovan Mitchell, 71, came in a game where every basket counted. Add to that the pressure of the shots he was taking and the sheer heroics to dig out of the biggest deficit this season, and that is a resume game. Devin Booker put on one of the best offensive displays we've ever seen, but at no point did all of that scoring threaten to change the ultimate outcome of the game. So, essentially, it felt like an all-star game. But despite the fact that these men are regularly paralleled against one another, I do think that the Phoenix Suns go as Devin Booker goes. Now, you can say that the Cavaliers go as Donovan Mitchell goes, but we really don't have much of a sample of that because he simply hasn't missed that many games. He just joined the team this year. It will be interesting to see how this Cavaliers team performs with him out of the lineup because what we've seen so far, he's only missed four games. And in that time, the Cavaliers have had a positive net rating, 4.2, which as it stands right now, that would put them around fifth or sixth in the league. They are an extremely efficient team, even with Darius Garland out of the lineup. In fact, they're more efficient than when both Mitchell and Garland are in the lineup together. So I'm not sure the opposite would be true if Garland is still in the lineup and Mitchell is out. I would assume that we will struggle much more. But Mitchell has been able to acclimate without Garland there very well. I mean, you have to feel good about that for a guy who just joined this roster to gel that quickly is extremely impressive. Now, comparatively speaking, when the Cavaliers have been without Darius Garland, and this is a stat which should be weaponized by all the people who hate Darius Garland, so I I hesitate to even bring it up, but I think it's important to point this out just to show that, one, those numbers aren't everything. Eyeball test, there's not a person who would say that we want to play without Darius Garland long-term. But they are indicative of how incredible Donovan Mitchell has been able to play when Darius Garland is out of the lineup, by and large. I realized tonight, 6 for 20, this was a bit of a clunker. He did pull it together in the fourth quarter somewhat, but still, overall, not one of his best games. And that just, that really is a statement to what an incredible season he's put forth so far. Without Darius Garland, after tonight, the Cavs are now 9-0. and Prior to tonight, when I pulled these stats, they had a positive 13.9 net rating. Remember, the Celtics are the league leaders at five and a half at this point. So that is just an absurdly efficient number in those nine games. With Darius Garland, that net rating falls to a 3.1. Now that's still good. That would make them around sixth in the league as it presently sits right behind the Sixers. But compared to 13, that's a drastic difference. 
They're 16 and 14 with Darius Garland, so still a winning team, but less efficient on offense and less efficient on defense. That is a 10.8 net rating swing. In the games without Devin Booker, where, as I said, they're 2 and 7, a negative 6.6. With Booker, this team, a positive 5.4. Not to mention they were 18 and 11. After tonight's loss, the Suns fall to 20 and 19, which has them dangerously close to being outside of the playoff picture altogether. They are now the ninth seed in the West, just ahead of the Utah Jazz, and two and a half games above the 11th seeded Minnesota Timberwolves. And most of that is a direct reflection of how poorly they have played without Devin Booker in the lineup. But there's just something in the recesses of my mind just said that after two victories, which perhaps shouldn't have been victories, ones that the refs definitely aided us, despite was was also, as I pointed out on Twitter, a gigantic 21-point collapse by the Bulls and a one-for-eight showing in the overtime period. So, yes, a lot of talk about the missed lane violation call. Nothing said of the fact that there was also a lane violation from the Bulls stepping in before Donovan Mitchell missed that shot, or definitely a failure to just accept any accountability as the Bulls totally collapsed in allowing the Cavaliers to even get back into that game. The moment it went to overtime, they performed similar to how our Cavs did in the J.R. Smith doesn't know what the score is in the NBA Finals game. They just packed it in and gave up at that point. So, in any case... It did feel like, though, that luck had been on our side for the past two games and that we might be on the brink of seeing one of those games that just leaves us feeling a bit confounded as to why the effort and the intensity weren't there and why we can't take advantage of a hurt team, a team missing its best player in Devin Booker, to go on and string together three straight victories. And tonight, two very unlikely heroes for the Cavs. A slightly less unlikely hero, Karis Levert, and a very, very unlikely hero, Raul Neto. Let's begin by talking about Levert for a moment. He finished with a very respectable stat line, 21 points, 6 rebounds, 2 assists, 2 steals. But what if I told you that coming into the fourth quarter, Karis Levert had just 9 points, and that he would author a personal 9-0 run by himself to tie the game at 70 points apiece. Following that, Chris Paul answered, with six straight points of his own for the Phoenix Suns to take the Suns to 76-72. Chris Paul, who due to campaign exiting the game, had to play 40 minutes tonight. He led the way in minutes played for both teams, every Cleveland Cavalier player and every Phoenix Suns player. Old-ass Chris Paul, hanging 25 points, four rebounds, and eight assists on the Cavs. Still a master floor general, the best player on the Phoenix Suns team, was Chris Paul. DeAndre Ayton continued a string of excellent showings against the Cavalier front court. We have seen this over the course of his entire career against the Cavs. This is a man who averages 15 and 12. He's played the Cavs six times. Basically, from the moment he was a rookie in 2019, he's a walking double-double. Tonight was far and away his best game on the glass with 18 rebounds. But lock him in. Every single time he plays us, he scores around 15 points. Not peaks and valleys, not a 20-point game and then a 5-point game. No, 15, like clockwork. He's one of the few bigs in the league who his physicality is difficult to match for either one of our centers. Now, he got a critical over the back on Jared Allen that was 
at a pivotal time in the game late in the fourth quarter. And that was massive that we actually got that whistle. But I don't think it's a coincidence that our bigs struggled to even put points on the board in the first half. They put up the goose egg. The Suns, coming into tonight, had won five straight games against the Cavaliers. Also of note, you may have heard early in the game, Donovan Mitchell was mic'd up. And if you were watching the television broadcast, you saw them go to Donovan Mitchell, who said something to the effect of, remember what they did to us last year. Now, that struck me as a bit odd from Donovan Mitchell because he wasn't part of the Cavs last year. But I thought, you know what? I wonder what kind of success Donovan Mitchell had against the Phoenix Suns himself. On the Utah Jazz, with Donovan Mitchell a part of that squad since 2020, the Jazz had lost seven of their last eight. So that is 12 of the last 13 games that most of the members of this Cavalier squad have seen the Phoenix Suns. They have fallen. And tonight, it seemed like that may be the case as we entered this game. It was a slow starting game, but Chris Paul seemed to be getting some distance. The second quarter specifically, the Suns outscored the Cavs by 11, and Chris Paul went 5 for 6 from the floor and had 14 points. A great quarter for an old-ass player like Chris Paul. The lead hovered between 8 and 10 for most of the game, and we would author little mini-runs. For example, the beginning of the second half, the Cavs scored 8 straight points to cut the lead to 44-41. to But we couldn't seem to push out ahead. When we finally closed the game in the fourth quarter, after 9 straight points for Karis LeVert, tied it up 70-70, then Chris Paul scored 6 straight, gave them a little bit of breathing room, and there was big threes. Big, big threes late in the fourth. Osman hit a three that cut the lead to one after Mitchell threw it full court in transition. Avert tied it up 85 apiece with a big three of his own. And then Mitchell's huge three with 40 seconds left took it to a 88-85 lead. Now I started to feel good there because it felt like Donovan Mitchell was finally dialed in. And Lavert was definitely dialed in. But... I didn't want to say a goddamn thing. I didn't tweet anything. I just shut my stupid mouth because 40 seconds is an eternity in the NBA. And the next possession down the court, coming out of the timeout, Chris Paul set up Landry Shamit, one of the more annoying players tonight. He caused us to waste our challenge by selling a zero-contact elbow from Evan Mobley that was immediately reversed upon review, but that prevented the Cavs from being able to use that challenge later in the game When Kevin Love got called for, you guessed it, a blocking foul trying to take a charge. That is a theme which has kept going and probably will throughout the season. A man who led the NBA in charges last year now seems to be a half step slow every single time, or at least not getting the whistles. Anyway, Paul comes down the court, sets up Landry Shamit, who knocks down a three to tie it up, and then the magical emergence of Evan Mobley, dormant most of the game. Already pointed out he was part of the first half goose egg. Also, Ty Donovan Mitchell for the lead in turnovers with four. However, one of the two field goals he made tonight just so happened to be the biggest bucket of the game. Here comes a Laverne screen. There's the switch. Now guarded by Shaman. Mitchell goes to work inside. Back to Mobley. Mobley stops. And hit. Just a huge moment for Mobley as he streaked in from outside the three-point line. Caught the pass from Mitchell and pulled up from just inside the foul line. Splash. Now from there, the game wasn't over. There was still time for the Suns to take a timeout and set up an inbound from half-court play with roughly four seconds left. 
Now, this is the part of the strategy that I thought was a little suspect because Chris Paul, who was their best player all night, was tasked with inbounding the ball. So he wasn't really even a threat. With four seconds left, it was very unlikely that he was going to get the ball back to try to get up a final look. The play they decided to go with was a foul line screen from DeAndre Ayton and Mikhail Bridges coming off a curl, but Ayton didn't get enough on Donovan Mitchell because he was able to get around it and get a pretty good contest on Mikhail, who tonight was not his night shooting-wise. Now, he was also excellent in his defensive efforts against Donovan Mitchell, but it was an offensive shit show for both of them. Mitchell, just 6 for 20 from the floor. Mikhail Bridges, just 10 points, 3 for 15 from the floor. Very good defensively, again, but not his night shooting-wise. Some of you may have noticed the one three-pointer that he made early in the game. He turned around immediately and said some stuff to the Cavs bench, which I thought was weird because Mikhail doesn't strike me uh, as a trash talker. Now, clearly, anybody can be corrupted by spending a year or two with Jay Crowder, who's a gigantic pile of shit. But Mikhail seems like a stand-up guy, so I'm curious if it was just that he knows some of the guys on the Cavs teams or what was said there, because from that point on, it was a suffer fest for jumpers leaving Mikhail Bridges' hand. So there we go. That's how we ended up with the victory. But if you would indulge me for a moment to pick some nits, anyone who saw this first half was probably disgusted. The Cavaliers somehow led this game 15 to 14 after one period. Yes, that is how many points they scored. And by the way, it is final in Milwaukee. Both teams did manage to break 100 points as Milwaukee held on to defeat the Toronto Raptors 104 to 101 in overtime. No, it is not the result we want, but if Milwaukee had to win, I do enjoy that it came in what must be a heartbreaking fashion for the Raptors as they pooped their pants in overtime. They went a collective 2 for 11 from the field, a Chicago Bulls-esque showing 0 for 4 from 3, and Grayson Allen leads the Bucks to victory in overtime with 5 points, and they go on to hold off the Raptors. But back to this Cavalier game. Speaking of inept outside shooting... The Cavaliers missed their first 14 three-point attempts, 0 for 14 midway through the second quarter, and then they knocked down three before halftime. Evan Mobley and Jared Allen did not score a single point in the first half. At halftime, Mitchell had 11 points, but he was 3 for 11 from the field, 1 for 7 from three. Levert had nine, as I spoke of, did not score in the third quarter, and then ripped off 12 points in the fourth quarter. He was pivotal to the Cavs winning this game. But there is one more man that we have to touch on tonight because to say that it was Mitchell and Levert would be disingenuous because there is one more man who needs significant attention following this game. A guy that we do not call on often or sometimes at all. He has logged plenty of DMPCDs. But tonight, Raul Neto had his best game of the season, scored 14 points for the Cavaliers, got to the line for four free throws, went five for seven from the floor. That's good for 71%. That number may be familiar to you. Well, perhaps it was as a tribute to Donovan Mitchell because Neto's eight points in the third quarter were huge. They kept the Cavaliers in this game. It helped them to dig out of what was a decent hole they dug themselves in the second quarter and the bench points. That was a big thing. Neto was a huge part of that. 34 bench points to just 14 for the Phoenix Suns. Most of the talk over the course of the season has been, are we getting enough from the wing? 
to take advantage of this incredible core that we've assembled. And certainly, I do think there's a good chance that the Cavaliers will make a move before the deadline, be it a trade or a buyout person, to further bolster the bench unit. You can't expect Osman to show up every night. We've seen Love. He's been struggling with his shot. He's been very good on the glass. I'll give him that. But the charges, they aren't working. His shot is in and out. Pretty much the most consistent contribution from Kevin so far this season has been his work on the boards. But for Neto to give you 14 points in a game where many of his minutes were matched up against one of the smartest guards in the league, Chris Paul, one of the smartest players in the league, credit to him for answering the call. It would have been easy to just pack it in and say, it's not our night. Nothing's fallen. An 0 for 4 first half from Evan Mobley with three turnovers. Jared Allen didn't have a point. 29% from the floor. They were 16% from three. Three of 19 at halftime. But these last two games, the Cavaliers have found a way to pull out a win. If I told you those stats, you would have expected that the Cavs got blown out tonight. But the only thing that prevented that from happening was also a pretty incompetent showing from the Suns as they shot 43-33 splits and struggled to have success against the Cavaliers. Now that brings us to the one other storyline for tonight, which is that Isaac Okoro was given the start at the three. There was a lot of discussion leading up to the game because... At practice, Lamar Stevens was wearing the white-colored jersey. Who was it going to be? Was it going to be Osman or Okoro? Well, Okoro finally dug himself out of the hole that he created at the beginning of the season, got an opportunity to start, and didn't do much of anything with it, I think we could say. He tried. I don't think he was a negative necessarily. Certainly didn't really stand out to me. Osman was a little bit better in the minutes that he gave you because he did knock down a couple critical threes the Cavs, including one late in the fourth. A lot of Cavs fans have been coming around to the idea of maybe we should start Osman. Again, the kiss of death is being made the starter. It doesn't seem to matter who we put there. The moment that we deem that they're the solution, they get outperformed by somebody playing behind them. And that just seems to be the way that it goes. But we got the win. One other story that was in the press today was about how Miami was not looking to trade for Jay Crowder, the Phoenix wing, who has been on a self-imposed team-agreed-upon hiatus because he did not like his role with the team or the fact that they wouldn't extend him. So he has been away from the team, and much of the discussion over the course of the season has been, well, where will he be shipped? Will he be traded somewhere to get somebody back for the Suns who can contribute right now and be a part of what many thought was a title-worthy roster? a Western Conference contender. Now, they may be that when Devin Booker comes in, but I think one of the things that the Suns are having to realize is that their desire to trade Jay Crowder is probably, it's not going to bear fruit because Jay Crowder is not an expensive player. He makes around $10 million a season, which is close to the average salary for an NBA player. This season, the average salary, $10.8 million. Here's where things get a bit interesting, though. With this story today that discussed how Miami was just going to wait until he gets bought out, they're interested in him, but only through the buyout market. That should be a reflection of what may happen to the Suns throughout the league. The Suns may think that Jay Crowder is a good player for certain circumstances. Obviously not for theirs, if they've been like, yeah, go ahead, stay home. But they may think that He's a good enough player that they don't want to just waive him. However, the reality is he's an expiring contract. 
While it's not expensive, $10 million isn't expensive. Generally, guys on that level of contracts are at least contributing role players. I mean, keep in mind, Osman makes closer to $8 million a year. It's not like, and you could argue that he's our best bench player. So it's, it's not like it's just simple necessarily to match a trade for that. It would depend on the circumstances. But bigger than that is, he's an expiring contract player who desperately wants another contract and another payday, an aging veteran, and you're taking a chance by giving up anything for him that you could bring in a guy who would not only be a production drag on your team, but also a chemistry drag. You just don't know what you're going to get from him. Are you going to bring in this guy because he's quote-unquote playoff tested, and then he gives you 30% from three, like he did last year in the playoffs? At that point, why would you have given up anything? Keep in mind, Isaac Okoro shot 35% from range last year. So I think the Suns are in for a rude awakening in the sense that if they're expecting to get back a first-round pick or a solid player, and I've seen names discussed like you know, Kyle Kuzma, Boyan Bogdanovich, guys that are still much better players. Now, I can only assume those names come up with the thought being that Crowder is essentially just matching money and that they would have to bundle a first-round pick or something of actual value to bring back an upgrade in that way. They'll be hard-pressed to find anybody who gives up a contributing player or a draft pick above a second-round pick at this point. And time is ticking. The trade deadline is approaching. They may find themselves in a situation where they do just end up buying them out because they couldn't get what they wanted. It could be very reminiscent of what the Cavs hoped for with Andre Drummond when they shut him down But ultimately, in the end, they ended up just granting him his freedom, and he went to play for the Lakers. So that is my requisite Jay Crowder bashing for the moment, I suppose. But the other complication, too, which I don't know if all of you guys saw this, but Brian Winhurst said in one of his articles that with the ownership chains in Phoenix, Sarver has a clause in that sales agreement that says that any trade that brings in more than $10.8 million, the average salary of a player in the league, has to be approved by him. That's the other thing to consider. It's not as simple as just somebody offers a trade that they like and they pull the trigger. There are salary cap and luxury tax ramifications, luxury tax, excuse me. If they try to bring in a big piece, Sarver has to sign off on that. And quite frankly, I don't know if that's his priority at this point. I think he may just be focused on trying to get the most money and button down this deal with Ishby so that he and Dan Gilbert can continue their blood feud. Which, by the way, Dan Gilbert now 1-0 in the Ishby era for the Phoenix Suns. It would be great if Gilbert just took one of the buildings that he owns in Detroit, and instead of putting the lights to blue and red, which is what everybody seems to be doing for DeMar Hamlin right now, if he just blasted wine and gold up there as a gigantic fuck you to Ishby. I would be all for that. The petty level, a thousand. So that's this episode of the Fear the Fro podcast. Honestly, I'm shocked what was a pretty dull victory compared to what we just witnessed with the 71-point game. I'm shocked the podcast went this long. But thank you to everybody who tuned in for this episode of the Fear the Pro. I can't even get the goddamn name out. But if you can remember what the name of this podcast is, please remember to rate it, remember to review it, and definitely subscribe to it. Because without that, you won't get to hear all of my fumbling over my own words in future episodes of the Fear the Fro podcast. I am Bob Schmidt, voice of Fox Sports Radio. Go Cavs. 
This has been Fear the Fro. If you like the show, subscribe and rate wherever you listen. Our guy, Bob Schmidt, always gets a reaction out of it. Join us next time for more Cavs and NBA coverage.